Hello, everyone. This is Michaela, and you're listening to the End All the Things podcast. As a life coach and facilitator, I work with individuals and groups to empower their best selves to shine to the betterment of all involved. My goal is always to bring you closer to trusting the voice inside of you that is authentically yours. My job here is no different. In my journey through life, I continue to meet people who use their authenticity, their gifts, to grow, change, and serve through professional and personal endeavors. These people and their stories become my gift to you, for I cannot keep a good thing to myself, and I believe that they may inspire a part of your story to evolve. Hey, hey, joining me today is Corey Hennings. He is the host of the Sober by Design podcast. Corey, as you will find, is a calm, gentle, giant of resilience and inspiration. As we explore his personal journey with alcoholism, we will unravel the intricate layers of his life beyond sobriety. Through candid conversations, as you can totally expect here on End All The Things, Corey shares really the the profound impact of alcohol on his personal and his professional life before, during, and after. And what we learn is how he highlights the pivotal role of authenticity, self-reflection, and community in his path to recovery. And that's a path that you and I can follow too. We talk about the significance of therapy and again, community, but really all of that comes down to our willingness to be vulnerable. And then from that place of vulnerability, to put in self-care practices that help you get closer to your goals. So we talk about generational trauma. We talk about living life in corporate America as a sober person and how we can bring non-alcoholic alternatives into the workplace. We talk about resources. We talk about all manner of things to help you and me get closer to our relationship with our inner self so that we're not looking to external things like alcohol, substances, sex, drama, shopping, and all the things. So whether you are sober curious like me, or you're on your own journey with or towards sobriety, this conversation is an invitation for you to take one step further on your journey to self-discovery and transformation. So without further ado, I offer you Corey Hennings and all the things. All right, friends, it is an honor today to introduce you to Corey Hennings and all the things. So I met Corey through my husband, who is a master networker. He is always all over the place. And I have to admit, he's quite a lovable guy. Um, And he came home one day and said, babe, you got to meet this guy, Corey. He's a friend of mine. He's doing X, Y, Z but he's got this podcast he's starting and you have a podcast and you two should talk. And I said, absolutely. So we connected over a podcast. Um, But Corey, tell us about your podcast, Sober by Design and where, what role is it playing in your life that at a networking event, that's what comes up in conversation? Yeah. Um, First off, thank you for having me on the podcast. Yeah. So I started the Sober by Design podcast last year. Um, in February, I think I started and, um, it really kind of spun out of my work as a recovery coach in my local community. 
Um, I was coaching people one, one on one, uh, after they spent some time in the ED and probably had the worst day or night of their life. And ED for our listeners is. Also emergency department at their local hospital up the road. So I'm part of an organization that works in our county. And um, I can get into a little bit more of the coaching and what that is. But really what was going on was I was meeting these people in the emergency room, waiting, uh, working with them for about eight weeks and uh, trying to help them find a path in recovery. What was happening is I was spending... And I, and I still do the work, by the way, um, but I'm spending a lot of time with that one person. And, you know, it's hard to make a big impact in any world when it's a one-on-one -on -one, uh, sort of relationship, right? It is- You make a big impact in their one world. Right, but, but like- there's, a, there's buckets full of people who are struggling to, to take that step towards recovery. Right, right. So I was doing a lot of one-on-one -on -one work I felt like I could use an hour or two hours of my life a week and maybe reach more people. And I am an avid podcast listener. I've been listening for years. I started out with like true crime podcasts and listened oh, to so good. Yeah. <laughs> I think I've listened to like every single true crime podcast, uh, at least okay. the big ones. You might uh, have to share your favorites at the end. <laughs> I will. I will. So I, I just love the medium. I think it's a great medium to connect with people. And I put, you know, uh, sort of an intention down and just acted on it, bought the equipment, uh, you know, got the RSS feed up and, and just started recording. Um, and the, the reason is, again, to sort of spread the word of recovery, sort of look deeper into why people maybe have challenges around substances uh, and, and maybe have some folks question you know, their relationship with be it alcohol, sugar, love, food. I've mm -hmm. talked about just about everything on my podcast at this point. So, well, and I think that's the common denominator. I, you know, being a person that um, I'm vegetarian curious, I'm sober curious, I'm curious about wherever I can go to build a stronger relationship with myself. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and alcohol is one of those things. And we're certainly going to talk about that today because it's, I had to really challenge my belief about the relationship, my awareness about the relationship so that I could put it in a way that made sense to me, didn't hurt me and was productive at the same time, but that's not always easy, right? So when you think about recovery, one of the things we talked about before is it's not just from the substances. You mentioned it's it's from love. It's I told you, I think I have an addiction to audible and podcasts. Like mm -hmm. I, I really could admit that there's a problem there. Now, what is the problem? What is the, the risk benefit? What is it impacting? Is it time for change? You know, these are all the things I've learned to ask myself. But we don't think about those little smaller details. So when when I hear you talk about recovery, I know you're talking about substance abuse in particular. But for our listeners, we're talking about the relationship we have with the things outside of ourselves, right? Yeah. We're talking about our money. We're talking about our careers, our children, our partners. Um, I mean, and don't let me put words in your mouth. Would you say that that is that is where we are with this? That we're so widespread and and yet we only think about the need for recovery with substances. Maybe not only, maybe that's a harsh generalization, but we no, tend there. You're, 
Yeah, no, you're right. I think that most people will look and say, you know, recovery is sort of, you know, the, there's like three things I think that people really kind of bucket into recovery, right? Alcohol, drugs, and, you know, smoking, right? Like those mm -hmm. tend to be the three that people really look at. Right. I think there's another layer under that that is now probably a little bit more focused on, which is like the food and the love and the sex. And then there's all these other underlying ones. Right. And um, social media too, I think is really creeping up to the top. Yep. Um, <clears throat> and one that I really focus on more and more. Um, what I've always said is for me, it's always about trying to regulate some inside feeling with an external source. Mm -hmm. Like is what I'm trying to fix, right? If I'm using right. a to regulate how I feel inside, with something from outside of me, then it's probably I'm I got something going on and I got to look at it. Um, and that could be sugar, that yeah. could be reading, you know, uh, that could be consuming. What are we consuming? Yeah. Shopping, right? Shopping's a big one too. Yeah. Like people just, you know, I feel bad. I'm gonna go buy something. Shop uh, therapy, as it's called. <laughs> yeah, and it feels it does feel really yes. good in that moment, and then afterwards, it's like, ah, oh, did I need that? There's like a bit of regret, yep. and that that's sort of if you're feeling that thing afterwards, it probably wasn't the right move. Um, right, yeah. that's the hedonic adaptation where we buy the new iPhone, and it's like fireworks are erupting. Mm -hmm for like a day and a half. And then it's like being schlepped over here and dropped over there and it, and the value of it changes. So when I work with my coaching clients, and this might align with where you are, but if you wanna stop smoking, don't do anything right now, right? As long as we're not in, in harm's way, right? Like, so mm -hmm. disclaimer, but before you smoke that cigarette, what is your intention? What is your goal? What are you trying to achieve? during it, what happens? And then after, did you get the desired result? How long did it last? So that we can collect data to weigh where we are with that experience. Um, because we're not engaged. We're not, we're moving so fast, I think, in our life today, that we're creating room for all these other things to creep up to that list of, of addictive substances and sources. Um, social media, sex, love, debt, all of it. Yes. So- is this just something you walked into? Are you, you know, are you the guy that just said, I'm going to help these people? Or how did you get to that place? Because I, I know there's a story back there. No, no, that I did not just walk into this. So I myself obviously uh, didn't just decide one day to become a recovery coach because I'm just some right. altruistic human who just, you know, lives for other people. <laughs> well, so I but, would say you're a very altruistic human, no matter how you got there. So yeah. you can, you can now, stick that in your pocket. <laughs> now, now I might be, but you know, there was a version of me that started when I was uh, 18, you know, where I really found alcohol. Um, I had grown up uh, with an alcoholic parent. I swore I never would drink. And, um, and then it found me and, you know, I've told the story on my podcast and, but, you know, as soon as I drank, I kind of, I kind of knew it was a problem, um, but I, I kind of pushed that off and I continue. What, what were those kind of new thoughts? Like I kind of knew, because I think this is important for our listeners, right? Like it, it starts very well. And again, I don't yeah. want to fill in the blanks, but it starts innocently and honestly, or, or maybe not honestly, but I don't know. What were those battling thoughts? And I'm going to think about my own too. 
So, I mean, at that age, it's it's tricky, right? So at 18, it's hard to understand that it's a problem because I was in college and, you know, there was a culture around me of drinking parties. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody kind of did it to an extreme at that point. Um, but my extreme was maybe just a little bit different. You know, I would show up at a party and there'd be beer, but I had to make sure that I brought something else mm -hmm. with me. Um, you know, there was, it was drinking to blackout. It was, you know, starting at, you know, four on a th Wednesday afternoon, right? Be just because. Um, so there were little telltale signs early on. Um, and I would say that that sort of continued on from 18 to, I guess I was like 35 when I got sober. I'd have to actually do the math on my age. <laughs> 2012 when I, when I found my sobriety. A but, lot of time. There was a yeah, lot of time a, and dedication. Well, there was a decent amount of drinking in, yeah. in in that time. And there was a lot of, you know, ups and downs and different. And, you know, there was always this idea that the relationship with alcohol was wrong, right? I was drinking after people went to bed. I was drinking alone. I would drink, you know, again, to excess. Um, mm -hmm. I would get myself in very bad situations, um, you know, but, but I also was able to maintain a job. Right. Um, I never got kicked out of a home. I never got in a car accident. You know, there was all these things that didn't happen right. that kind of allowed me to say, well, it's not a real, real problem. Up until the very end when I could tell that my marriage was taking a hit. Mm. Um, it was very clear. I had gone to marriage counseling and, you know, we we went through there. And in therapy, there was a lot of talk about you know, my drinking and I would always explain it away and it was something else. It was some other problem. It was, you know, a job or it was the bills or it was, you know, my wife or whoever or whatever it was. It was not the drinking. Um, Putting that, it on an external thing, something outside of you that was happening to you. Right. Right. Yeah. That, of course, I'm going to respond this way. Of course, I'm going to. It's five o'clock. Right. Yeah. And I never wanted to give it up. You know, it was a real, it was part of me. Um, I really felt like alcohol was a part of me. Like I would not be the same person without it. Mm -hmm. and, um, but at the end it was bad. And, um, you know, we did the couples therapy. We got through that. We found some strength in our marriage, but I continued to drink. And that was all the other things had kind of been, you know, fixed the only thing that remained was my drinking. And, and towards the end, it was very clear that that was the problem. It was just up to me to determine if and when I was going to stop. And um, I did stop. And it was the day after my wife's birthday. We had had a party at our home. And I had started cooking and drinking early. And I think I passed out, you know, three o'clock mm -hmm. in the afternoon at our party. And uh, I'm I sure that went over very well. Went over off. <laughs> over awful i i remember uh, up at some point uh seeing her i think and then in the morning when i woke up she wasn't in our bed at that point we had my two boys my uh older son was six at the time and my younger one was just about one and uh i woke up i took a shower i went to work and i just said i, I can't do this i think in the showers i can't do this anymore and i i went to an aa meeting and um wow. i just continued going to AA meetings for months every day at lunchtime. And, uh, you know, it didn't, 
it it wasn't like a magic bullet, right? It didn't fix my marriage like the third day that I right. went. But, <laughs> there uh, are no magic bullets, unfortunately. Right. But it was time and it was a lot of self-reflection and change. And I could say over those past 12 years or so, you know, when, you know, I'll be approaching 12 years. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. And, you know, I think that what it's prompted me to do is really change who I am and, and do that self-reflection of like, how am I utilizing this thing in my life? Mm -hmm. and what is it doing? And, you know, that's kind of what I talk about on my podcast now, more so than just, you know, alcohol or drug recovery. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, how are we becoming better versions of ourselves? And, you know, you know, what, what are those substances doing for us? And, uh, yeah, that's my story. So that's how I got. <laughs> and 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 just to fig so why I became a recovery coach was about I think four years, four or five years into my journey, my mom passed away. And she she had found sobriety actually. So she was about 23 years sober. Wow. She passed and um and was she the alcoholic parent? Yes, yeah, she was dynamic. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So she died in 2017. Um and it kind of was, it was a tough loss, um, put a lot of just uh, bat, like hard energy into our family. And I didn't know what to do with some of that energy. And, um, you know, I started working out at some point. And then I also decided to go volunteer at my local recovery center. And, that, and then through that volunteerism, I became a recovery coach. And then that kind of spun out the podcast. That's incredible. What, yeah. what a story. And what I think is important, let's, let's talk about the blessing that you didn't have a, um, a catastrophic impact, right? No one essentially got hurt, right? Everyone is still here together in this family dynamic, working through it. Um, and you talk about therapy, you know, you did the work to get there, but I imagine that, finding that sobriety is something that you chose in one day, but I have to imagine that the conversation of, am I, is there some, am I okay? What am I doing? How long had that conversation been happening for you? Because I think it all builds up to that place of being able to say, today's the day, damn it. No more. I cannot, I will not do it in this way. Yeah. So, uh, that's mm -hmm. contemplation, Right. And that is yeah. a big part of most people's recovery story. Um, mine probably span back to uh, 2004. So you're talking 2004 to 2012. Wow. Yeah, so so years. And there was like some, I did try AA in there and I had some things and it just never really, it never rose to the level of that day. Because it's all in the timing. Hey, hey there, amazing listeners of And All The Things. Thank you for being on this journey with me. The fact that you're still here, I have to assume this podcast has sparked your curiosity, encouraging you to think of life beyond your current boundaries. Now it's time to take that energy and channel it into a transformative journey where boundless joy awaits. Introducing The Course for Joy, Brought to you by Joy Enterprises and me, Michaela, your Joy Coach. Life gets busy, I get it, but self-care matters and should not take a back seat. 
That is why we've crafted a four-week self-guided adventure to seamlessly fit into your routine. In just 15 minutes, a few times each week, our enlightening video lessons and engaging workbooks will guide you through self-discovery and bring you closer to growth. As a special bonus, when you enroll in the Course for Joy, you'll receive an exclusive 50-minute live coaching session. We'll celebrate your progress and create a roadmap for your journey ahead. Are you ready to paint your life with vibrant joy and purpose? Visit myjoycoach.com backslash course to learn more about the transformative Course for Joy. Let's amplify your joy and ignite your purpose together. Stay tuned for more inspiration and insights right here on And All The Things. Change doesn't happen overnight, right? Like we think, I I decided this, I need it to be better in three days. Or, you know, I've been pondering this, contemplating this for eight years. I'm never going to do. We have to still play with the idea of giving ourselves, flexing the muscle a little bit of, is this okay? Is this hurting me? How is this? And I can say for myself, I probably had been contemplating my role, my relationship with alcohol for a very long time. Mm -hmm. But as you said, it was a part of me, right? And there used to be a time in my life where I felt great pride when someone would say that I can drink all that, you know, she drinks like a man or, you know, things that, that boost, make it cool that I was drinking a lot. Now I don't, I have not labeled myself. I probably never will, but I know that at some point I was embarrassed by that. I didn't want to be the girl that could drink all that. Um, But I still was that girl, right? I had to keep my persona identity, but as I grew older and my body has changed and my metabolism and, and my liver enzymes, I began to not handle it. And I got, I got scared. I was like, what do I, what do you mean? I can't drink. Of mm-hmm. course I can have two glasses of wine and wake up tomorrow and go to work and live my life. And by all accounts, I'm a highly productive human being, right? I do all the things and and it looks fine, but I could see where it was wearing on the relationship with my family. Mm-hmm. I could see where my short temper, my, my fatigue, my, just distractedness began to influence my family. So it became deeper contemplation, right? And now, now, I mean, I still drink and I want at this point in my life to be able to, but I can see it in a way that I feel more control over, right? It's not something like, oh my gosh, it's four o'clock. I have to have the drink. It's, I don't really want the drink, but it took working with my coach who is essentially, I mean, I've been with her for years. She's my healer, my therapist, my everything, it took reading books, right? So one um, I'd like to recommend, you know, for all the women out there is, um, what is it? Quit Like a Woman, Holly Whitaker's book. Yeah. Yep. Phenomenal. I mean, she is, it's hardcore. There's yeah. a lot of opinion in there about, you know, the patriarchy and, and society, but her information is great. And just putting myself in those places, changing my conversation, throwing away all those beautiful mugs that were like mommy wine time and they're all gone. Right. But I'm also watching my best friend is now sober for three years. Kudos to you, girlfriend. Mm -hmm. Right. Like I'm watching this trend. So let's bring in another part of you. I met you through my husband, Chris, through business networking in your other role. Please share with us what you do if you'd like, but 
I know what networking historically is. You mm -hmm. meet, happy hour, cocktails, everyone goes home a little tipsy. What did we really accomplish? I don't know. How does that relationship change for you? So tell us about your corporate role and how are you managing 12 years of networking sober? Yeah. Um, so in my other life, I am a, um, I'm in design and construction. I work for a, a large firm, international firm. Um, I've managed to kind of crawl up the ranks and now I'm some sort of executive. Um, <laughs> I don't, Say that with some pride. I don't wear the it's, title. It's, it's I don't wear the <laughs> You know, I never, I never imagined myself in this place, even though mm -hmm. I work and all the schooling, it just never felt like something that would, I would be able to get to. Right. Um, but I've, I've mean I've gotten a, a good amount of uh, traction in my industry. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, early on in my career, I think that in our, in, in a lot of industries, I will say alcohol plays a big part in right. sort of the corporate culture, right? It's going out to work or out to drinks after work. And, you know, that was a big problem for me early in my career. I just kind of did it. And, um, you know, well, that's I, the expectation. Yeah. That yeah. Certainly was by and large. Yeah. And, um, you didn't feel, I didn't feel very empowered, uh, you know, to say no mm -hmm. and it got me in a lot of trouble and, um, you know, probably really added to my drinking story. Um, well, I and it's, it's also like confirmation bias when everybody around you is doing the same thing, yeah. right? When you look around you and that guy's doing it and he's getting up for work and he's not having problems with his wife that you know of, yeah. right. But you get this sense that and and if you look at the media, if you look at all forms coming at us, it's telling us that drinking is is cool. It's the way to go. Yes, do it responsibly, but bottoms up. Yeah. So for me, you know, uh, up until I stopped drinking, I was doing a lot of those networking events and going out and, and living that life. And it was the evening events. Um, and then as soon as I started to in my recovery path, you know, going to AA meetings, I just kind of shut a bunch of it down. Um, for me, it was just a, like a clean break. Um, my career at that point, uh, I had, at that point I was in private industry. Um, I had actually a really good job. Uh, and then I think six months into my sobriety, I quit, um, hmm. for a multitude of reasons. And I just kind of scaled back what I was doing a little bit, um, took a, took a backward step in my career and uh maybe a sidestep because right? <laughs> we're always hard. moving forward in some way or another <laughs> yeah. looking back it felt very backwards but it, <laughs> you know it was what i needed to do at the time yeah. right a lot of what i was doing in that early recovery was what i needed to do and um you know as i got more sort of uh you know recovery time under my belt i was able to go back out uh early in that process of networking it was a lot of just breakfasts and lunches um and i was very selective with where i would go at night um you know well, you have to create a space that's safe for you where you yeah. feel empowered you're you know as you use that word to to live out the person you want to be which yeah. means changing behaviors and patterns and such yeah and the other thing that i found early on too is like i really enjoyed the idea of accountability in my in my sobriety. So if somebody knew I was not drinking to me, that was one more person I was accountable to. Okay. So 
for me, very early on, um, I was, uh, just to wrap it back to Holly, I was starting to listen to podcasts. And at that time, Holly had a podcast with Laura McCowan mm -hmm. and um, the Home Podcast, which was something that I listened to sort of constantly in my early recovery. And they were sharing their stories uh, publicly. And I had found uh, sort of sober Instagram and people were sharing their stories right. out loud. And so what I found is like in my professional space, I would just start to tell people I don't drink anymore. And it kind of cut the nonsense out. Mm -hmm. There was there was, and there remains maybe a handful of people who continue to try to <laughs> convince me that today. Really? Yeah. It's like, you know. <sighs> You but, know, and that's, and listen, I get it, right? Someone's like, oh, I'm not drinking. Oh, just one. Because they need that confirmation bias. Right. They need, and this was going to be one of my questions. How do you, how do you come out of the, I'm now sober closet for lack of a better word. And then deal with other people's, if you choose to deal with them. But, you know, if someone, when my best friend said to me, I'm, I'm going sober, I, internally felt judged. She was not judging. Well, she might've been, but she wasn't judging me, but it was a, does that mean I'm bad? Does that mean I'm doing something wrong? No, you can't do that. And obviously that was a very fleeting, very short lived moment. Right. But, but that I think is what happens because I want that confirmation bias. Right. Or, or some thing. Yeah. I, you know, I, for me, again, it was very early on. I used it as a tool. Um, so just coming out and telling people that I didn't drink anymore became a tool for me. Just one more, right? It, in my early recovery, it was like showing up to the lunchtime meetings with a bunch of retirees. And then soon after starting to just tell anybody that I could, that I wasn't drinking anymore. Those became very like foundational to who I was. And like the old people <laughs> meeting was like the community. And then I had the accountability. And then, you know, there were some other things that I started to sprinkle in. But so for me, just telling the story was kind of like easy at that point. Um, dealing with a little bit of that, like, hey, you could drink stuff was challenging at the start. Now I just kind of just <laughs> blow right by that's it. I on them. Dress yeah. it. Yeah. Like that's not my thing to worry about. Um, you know, I think that, yeah, people do maybe feel judged in that moment, but I don't know. I think they also just want you to be a part of what they're doing. They're doing. Right? That's it, it is such a social thing, right? Yeah. Um, and I have spoken with a lot of people who have gone through their own recovery, you know, and it's that fear of, um, am I me without this? Will I be accepted without this? How do I show up without this? So when you, when you do the coaching work, with the people you're working with in the community, how do you get them there to that, that place of, I mean, and I know they're in the emergency department, so they're already in a, in a tough spot probably, but how do you get them to that place of I'm willing to try to see who I am without this? Yeah, it's tricky. So my program that I, that I coach in is different than say a long-term program that somebody's sort of committed to and determined on their own and maybe put some money towards mine is a free program to them it is an emergent situation and they might not have any interest right so sometimes they just say forget it i don't want to work with you is it mandatory or optional totally optional right okay. it's just a service that's provided um 
over time, my role has changed a little bit in my organization in that I get people who are maybe looking for it, at least, at least they're contemplating at that point. So I've been, uh, my, the people I work with have changed over time. Um, early on, some of it was just being a, an ear for the people like they you could tell very early on that they had no interest in changing right and and there was like a lot of complaining and in those uh instances a lot of times i would just remind them i'm here to help you with recovery i'm not just like a sounding board for you know how to find a new apartment or all your things right i'm not a social worker right right like i i can point you there but i'm here to talk particularly about recovery yeah. So I think now, again, with people who are a little bit more contemplative about it, you know, what I tried to explain is more the modalities that are open to them rather than just because a lot of them want to get somewhere. They just they maybe are stuck up on, you know, I don't like AA or I don't want to go to rehab or I don't want. So like I try to open more doors and just have conversations about what's out there right. and then try to get them to a place and then once they're there, whatever that place is, AA, a smart meeting, a Holly Whitaker book, or, you know, Annie Grace's podcast, or, you know, whatever it is, talk to them about what they're getting. Or your podcast. Or my podcast. Yeah. And, um, you know, and then, uh, you know, how is that working for them? I also do try to think about each person and really individually, like, what was their backstory? you know, what, what was their actual, you know, using period looking like, um, you know, maybe, you know, we talk a little bit about, you know, are they going through a divorce or, you know, maybe they have issues with their kids and maybe there's some bigger problem that like AA alone wouldn't help. Right. How do we get them to therapy? And I can help them find a kind of get to like a resource to help them find therapy or inpatient rehab or, you know, outpatient. Well, so Let's let's talk about that because I'm I'm always one of the reasons I do my podcast is very similar to your own. I want a bigger reach. I want and I want it to be highly accessible to people. I know that there is a financial disparity in our country between where people are and the the cost of services today, right? So so much of your podcast is about sobriety by design, but also or sober by design, excuse me but also focusing on the mental health, the journey, that that growth aspect. So how, when people are financially disadvantaged, how do you resource support for them? What's out there um, and what can people look for if they're looking to, to receive potentially a coaching service like yours? Yeah. So again, like in my county, I live in Sussex County, uh, we have the, the recovery center that I work for. Um, uh, so in there, we offer free coaching. Awesome. Um, they also have uh, therapy options there. And uh, we have a patient navigator that will help people kind of work within their means to find resources. So if it is a, you know, in uh, inpatient rehab, uh, they'll work with, you know, maybe their publicly funded um, insurance. And then there's a certain, you know, Listen, you see the the rehabs on TV that look really fancy. Like those are very costly. Those are costly solutions. They are and hard to get in. Hard to get in. There's not a lot of beds. Um, and even the the ones that you know we can get for public assistance are very hard to get in right now. It is a bed limitation. But there is stuff on all sides. Um, 
I also know there for therapy resources, um, again, just going back to my mom, she, when she died, she actually took her life mm -hmm. and, um, that kind of opened my eyes up to suicide. And right. through that real quick, we became involved with, um, an organization to write love on our arms and they support a lot of just, you know, uh, therapy and, uh, mental health access. So we donate a lot of money and, and, uh, whatever we can, you know, if, if, there's like a birthday or something and people do these fundraisers, it always goes to them. And, yeah. and, um, you know, when, when my brother died a couple of years later, mm. anything that we, we did, wow. they like went, went to the same organization and, and, um, you know, if somebody's struggling with mental health, they can call there and they can get help through that organization. There's and like, you'll, and we'll share that in the show. Notes. Yeah. There's so just please. organizations like all over. I think, I think at this point, there's probably every county has an organization through like their social service at the county level. And then um, I don't really know how much New Jersey has as a state because I don't deal with the state much. Mm -hmm. but then there's those national type organizations that, you know, are private, but they're helping people find a path. Um, well, and know. I think that the piece here is to hold on to that part where there's a little bit of desire on 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 the individual's end to, to desire this change, to, yeah. to reach out or, you know, if not have someone in their corner to be like, I'm calling this place for you. Um, I don't want to gloss over the loss of your mom in such a tragic way. Thank you yeah. for sharing that. Um, gosh, that would create a lot of trauma five years ago. And, you yeah. know, and that makes me think, so to kind of shift topics just slightly, mm -hmm not even slightly, but to, to your mom, right? So mm -hmm. your mom, you're a child of an alcoholic divorced, right? Parents, divorced. Yep. divorced parents, mom finds sobriety a handful of years later, she takes her own life. Mm -hmm. That, that alone is enough of an external force, right? To, I can see where it would make you want to, like you said, manage those interior feelings with exterior things. Um, but when I asked you what you're most proud of, you said it was ending the generational trauma yeah. that comes from that story. What does, why is that so important to you? And that's obviously a huge leading question, but what, what's the big deal about that, that we need to learn about how each of us as individuals is carrying forward our own generational trauma, even if our story is not as challenging as, yeah. as the one that your mom and you shared. Yeah, I, I don't know that it really was a thing for me up until uh, it, it probably happened a little bit before my mom took her life, um, but then really sort of hit home after, um, you know, every like you said, every family has a story, right, where they came from and how, you know, you you ended up on this planet and, and we all tell ourselves a version of that story, right? There is the story and then the version that we tell ourselves. Right. And my version had always been one thing. Um, after my mom died, that got challenged a little bit. And, uh, you know, and that I think that really kind of propelled me to to say, okay, how do I, what do we do better for our kids? And at that point, um, my older son was uh, in seventh grade and my younger son was, he's six years younger. So he was in first grade, I think, or something like that. Um, so young. 
but st but still had experienced a bit of, of stuff and um you know really what i want to do is you know i don't want them growing up with all the anxieties that i had that my wife has from her childhood and to do that really i need to fix a little bit of me and so i go to therapy my wife goes to therapy we've tried all different modalities of therapy um you know, we're very open and honest in discussions with our kids about, you know, this is why I might have this behavior um, and I'm trying to fix it, right? Like it, it, I'm not, I'm not a fully enlightened version of myself. So like our kids are going to have crap. They're going to go to therapy. My hope is just, it's a little less crap than I had. Right. And like, maybe their kids will be the generation. Right. But like, just looking back at my family story, like there's been some nonsense. So it just kind of carries through, right? Like if, if my grandfather was messed up, that probably means that his great, that his father was even worse and, and so on and so forth. So like, you know, I can say that I'm not nearly as like uh cranky as my grandfather. Um, you know, I don't hit my kids, you know, like there's things that we've just not Big done. Improvements. Yeah. Right? I mean, it, and it's, it's big improvements that, that take courage, right? Cause to, to change that bond with the story, the person, the relationship means you have to sacrifice something else, just like going from being a drinking person to a non-drinking person. Um, and I think how you said, like, I'm not a fully evolved person. Well, not yet. None of us are. Right. And right. so help me God, if I don't evolve tomorrow, there's a problem. Yeah. So let me keep evolving. Let me keep learning and growing because, and what I appreciate about this is I've, and I've heard people say, you know, I got sober and I didn't feel better. I wasn't happy. You know, like life was still happening, right? Yeah. Because it's, it's a yes end. It's the sobriety and the managing of the rest of your life and not giving that much weight to it. I don't know if that makes sense, but being able to say, yes, I'm this, but I also am capable. This is not the only part of me. This is not the only identity. I'm also capable of dealing with my children differently, approaching my career differently, because I have found that we just want that magic bullet and sobriety is not enough alone. It's the therapy. It's the working through. It's the good, you know, social habits, mm -hmm. eating habits. So what are some of those great tips and tools, whether it's how you sleep, how you eat, if you're journaling, I know you've done a lot of work in therapy. I've heard you talk about the tapping before. If you could give two or three tips and tricks to our listeners today um, about healthy behaviors, healthy mindsets that you use and work with your clients on to either help perspective or pattern. Yeah, I think... You know, over time, I think my big one has become community. I talked about it early on with, um, you know, AA. Um, and for me, that was like a community that I had at that time. Mm -hmm. um, and the more I surround myself with people, the better I feel. Um, you know, and it's Great hard. Answer, by the way, we are a tribal creature. We are, our being is meant to be in community. And, and it's I think hard. That's perfect. Yeah. Like, I don't think our society is set up good for it now. And you need to seek it out. Um, a lot of people are very, they, they think they have a huge community because they have a thousand Instagram friends or they're on Facebook or whatever it is. And it's not the same. You need to be in a space with people and just 
you know, around them and you get their energy and uh, the conversations are different. So I think finding a community, whatever it is, if it's a church or if it's your, you know, your neighborhood walk group, um, some sort of 12 step group, a reading thing, knitting. I mean, there's tons of them out there. Even, even committing to listening to a podcast where every week you're getting a similar message of you can do it. It Here's some ideas. Here's more community and collaboration. And it's just the willingness to, to show up in yeah. those spaces. Yeah. Right. Like that's, and that, that for me is super celebration worthy, right? I show up to read the book. I'm showing interest. That means I'm taking one step further towards understanding where I am in the story so that I can rewrite it to a way that doesn't suck as bad as the original version, you know, yep. like you said, make it less crappier. Um, yeah. All right. So community, what else? Um, for me, the second one, I'm just going to say, uh, and because I just got back into it is, is fitness, like taking care of your physical being is super important. Um, you know, I had done it for a while. I stopped, I was kind of in and out of fitness for a couple of years and I've just started again. And it is something that is just one, it makes you feel good. Um, well, you're sore, <laughs> afterwards, but you feel good, right? You feel like it's an esteemable act. You've done something for yourself. Um, for me, well, and it, that that's the before, during and after, right? Yeah. I know I'm not going to go into exercising and come out, you know, maybe I'll feel like a goddess, but you know, my whole, everything's not going to change, but I still feel proud. Mm -hmm. I still feel accomplished still feel a little winded, which I always kind of like, and it's the checking in and being aware, right? Working out is not always like the funnest of the fun, but the benefits really, when we collect those benefits outweigh the effort it takes to do it. Yeah. And for me, like I'll have a bad day at work. I go to the class afterwards. And, um, by the time I get home, I can't even remember why I was kind of in a bad way about work. Um, so I think there's something that happens mentally. Obviously, there's a physical mm -hmm. benefit. I want to be able to move around when my kids have kids. So for me, it's just something that I kind of let go and um, was lucky enough to actually my family pushed me back into it because they're like, you are cranky <laughs> you need to get out and do something. And so that was a big one for me. Um and, you know, I think there's, I love the family feedback, by the way, dad, you're cranky. You need to go to the gym or yeah, wherever yeah. it is. <laughs> We're very open here. We try to be open and we try to treat our children like humans, right? Like I don't Good talk, <laughs> they're very included in our nonsense. Mm -hmm. And, um, but that's good. Right. I think it's been, a, it, it, maybe it's too much. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, well, but it, it's, it's a matter of how you do it at what age. I mean, in some of it, they were exposed to, you know, just because, which means we have to deal with it because these kids are hearing and seeing today more than we can even imagine. And if we try to gloss over it, they're going to make all their interpretations based on what's being shoved their way from YouTube and TikTok and whatever other snappy things are coming up in the pipeline. But we yeah. have to talk to them. We have, we are their community. We have to give them community. And I know it's hard. You know, my nine-year-old daughter doesn't always want to be in community with mommy's conversations, but it's my job to to do that and to to keep her in a way that she can be safe and make good decisions for herself, right? That's the generational trauma that you and I and every parent today has an opportunity to shift. Yep. Right. And it doesn't always mean over talking everything, right? No. But yeah. in, in whatever way we need to do that. 
my kids are pretty good at telling me when I've talked enough and just say, okay, I got it. Um, the, uh, It's good the, that you have a cue for that. Got it. yeah, <laughs> sometimes it's not as nice, but yeah. Um, the, the other thing, and this one is just more a tool that I give to recoveries and I use myself is like a, a very sort of detailed journal. Um, so for me, like tracking out my day and my habits and then kind of balancing them out over what happened or how I feel the next day is important. So I have like every month I'll track, you know, five to 10 habits. And did I do them the day before? How did I feel the next day? Um, you know, and I set, you know, a very manageable task list each day. Uh, because sometimes in the past I had set unrealistic expectations of what I could get done in a day. Yeah. So, you know, keep your task list down to, you know, five things maybe. Um, how do you do, how do you do that? How do you prioritize in a world where there's so much we can do? Yeah. And this is something I work with my clients on of, you know, you know, the, an audit of how they spend their time, if you will, but how do you prioritize it? And, and maybe that's a list of top three things. Or I don't know, how do you prioritize those five things each day? Yeah. So the journal that I'm using now has like different tools. So there's a month planner, a week planner, and a day planner. So the month I lay out at the start of the month and I have like the high level things that I want to accomplish in the month. Right. And that could be, you know, uh, for me this month, it was like, make sure I signed up for CrossFit, um, make sure that I get, you know, this room purged in the house and, you know, whatever these high level things were. And then you know, obviously as time goes on, things shift, things happen. So that lets me recalibrate at a week level, right? I'm still always kind of looking back to the month, like, oh, did I get those major things done? Right. So there's like a major thing at the month, the week might be a little bit uh, more dialed in. And then daily, it's like the little things that I can do to get done, right? Because daily things come up. So it's like, okay, like today, I just got to go to the post office today. And like, mm -hmm. but then how does that then relate back to the week to the month right so the, there's just like for me it's the easiest way to plan out um i know it sounds super intense but it kind of keeps your like i understand that if i don't get the room purged on a tuesday it's still my month goal and i have you know 15 more days right like and that's okay so well, and i think that's important too of of being able to look ahead and to reflect back because even if you don't get that room purged, if you can see that each day you you were productive, you contributed, you brought value and success to your life or whatever, then it it changes the weight of that that top level thing, that purging. Maybe it wasn't the most important thing that month. Maybe that was a wish list item. And maybe that can be done next month. Or maybe, oh snap, we're gonna have to change our plans on Saturday because we got to get that room done, right? And and it's if we're not checking in, whether it's how we manage our schedule, how we manage our dietary and consumption habits, how we manage our sleep, right? How many times do we look at our schedules and block out all the time and not account for getting a good night's sleep? Yeah, yeah. Right? I have right. a I have a whoop strap, which is like a fitness tracker, but it tracks my sleep too. So like cool. I have that on there as well. So like I can That's see cool. like how much I slept, what type of sleep I got. Um, that also then gives me a recovery score. So every day I kind of go into the day knowing like, okay, I'm like in the green zone. Um, Super so, 
you'll have, you'll have to share the link for that so I can put it in the show notes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the, the journaling and I think more so looking back a day is always important. Like, did I do the things that I know make me feel better? Mm-hmm. Because then that is going to show up in the next day. So for me, like for this month, it's like, you know, uh, no sugar, um, reading, uh, mm-hmm. time with my family. I used to literally track like time with each family member. Cause at some point I thought, okay, like this is too sweeping. Right. And so like, I'll even adjust those things over time. And because for life pe- changes priorities yeah. and, and availability and, and needs change. And I say to like my recoveries, it's like five things. If you can like say these five things, if I do them daily, make me feel good you're in a good spot. And then like the next month it might shift to another five things. Like you might realize like, ah, reading is like not doing it for me. So maybe it's something else. And then you can like swap in and out. But I think what's so important there is the, the, the next day, the feedback, right? Cause I'll track, Oh, I got all my boxes today, but, but what is the effect of that? Right. Right. Did it matter? Did it work? Or was I just spinning my wheels and 15 routines? Right. Did you still Um, crappy the next day? Right. Or did you go into that day feeling like a 10? Yeah. Because if you feel like a five and then all those things don't matter, you need to recuperate those five things. They're not the right five things. Well, and I think that goes to the, the constantly evolving piece. If we're not checking in on what is and is not working, right. To go back to my, I spent a lot of years very proud to be that, that strong drinking girl. And then I became embarrassed by it. If I wasn't checking in on how I felt about that, I can't do anything. Right. And now I'm dealing with shame and guilt and all manner of things. So I like, I like the reflection. I like the focus. We can't make everything a priority and we cannot change every perceived good or bad behavior in our life in an instant, right? It takes time. But I, what I hear so much is that when people are willing to approach sobriety and whatever their thing is, they, it feels like a trial in the beginning. And at the end, it feels like a triumph. Am I, am I right? Am I hearing that right? Because I just, I see, even though sobriety doesn't change everything day one, getting that clarity and doing that work is a triumph. Do you agree with that? Oh yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I, I, I kind of say it's parenting is the hardest thing I've done. (laughs) Like that, you know, just finding recovery and sobriety was definitely the hardest thing. Um, It's a triumph for sure. Something I'm very proud of, Um, but it didn't, it wasn't like a magic cure for everything. There was a lot more to it, Um, you know, and I think you said it before, like life goes on and all these things happen um, in the, and when you're drinking, like you drink when you're not feeling good, you drink when you're happy, like you, you drink for anything. And now I experience life like fully all the time. So when good things that's happen, a huge triumph. <laughs> yeah. Real. Like I get to experience the good things and they're like, I'm there for all of them. Right. Like every concert I've been to since I've been sober, like I can remember. And, but then like every bad thing I remember just as hard. Right. So like, and I'm experiencing it like in that moment, there's no escaping it. It's like, I just need to live through this. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's like, if I, I always do this thing, like I play a tape of like, okay, this sucks, but if I drink, this will happen, that will happen, that will happen. And then suck a lot worse. Right. And it just sucks worse. Like there's never a a version of the story where it's like, it ends well. Mm -hmm. So that's 
in those really, really bad moments, which I've had, right? Like, yeah. again, the loss of my mom. Um, a couple years later, we had uh, COVID and then my brother died in the middle of COVID. And then, Jesus you know, like, Lord. and then my dad had a brain aneurysm and then my dad had a stroke and like, you know, so like just all these Good things. Lord, Corey. Yeah. Oh, come on. So we got to hold all these people real quick. <laughs> <laughs> Woo. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. So, you know, those things happen. Mm -hmm. And and what I what I know now is like if I if I let myself just kind of dissolve into drinking or whatever, like I'm not gonna be there for myself, my family, or my friends, you know, I'm not gonna be able to yeah. go have, you know, breakfast with Chris and like be there to help him. And like I think that that's the important thing is just realizing I just gotta keep going. And, um, you know, drinking or, you know, falling into whatever other addiction isn't going to help. That doesn't mean like I'm perfect. Listen. Oh, gosh, no. None I, of us are. I, I've been on some good ice cream benders and I know <laughs> I'm doing it. And it's it's sort of this idea of like, okay, it's not the best thing, but it's not the worst thing. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's the the balance that I got to live. That's, I mean, and the reality is, is, is we're going to have extremes, right? We're going to want to eat the ice cream. We're going to want to spend the money still, but are we aware of what we're doing and why? Right. Mm -hmm. And that is, that's the power. That's the power to say, I'm choosing, actively choosing my life based on this pause, this moment of, well, I could totally have that drink because my mom, my dad, my brother, my everyone is, you know, tragic. And if I do that, I end up down this road where guess what? In two years, I'm gonna have to deal with all this shit anyway. And you know, let so the awareness to say pause. I could choose easy for right now, or I could choose a little bit harder for right now that has a better long-term effect. Yeah. And I think I think that's where working with a coach, having someone like you in that individual's corner with the accountability, with the community, with the tools. That's what we all need in whatever aspect of life we're struggling with, whatever the addiction, whatever the mindset. Um, so it makes me wonder. So you started this podcast to get a bigger reach, right? To, mm -hmm. to touch more opportunities. And I always listen to someone's first podcast, right? I listen to where they are today. Then I go back to the first one and start catching up in between. Your first podcast was with your wife and it was highly vulnerable, wide mm -hmm. open. My first podcast was with my cousin and I chose her and our content so that I could try, you know, in this space, highly vulnerable, but I was still nervous as all get out. Right. But yet you show up on day one with your wife and it, and you bared it all. How important is vulnerability to you as a coach, as, as a person going, um, emerging through recovery, living with recovery in this way to just now put yourself on the podcast? That's a big deal. Yeah. I guess as a coach, I don't do it the same way, right? Like as a coach, I'm a little bit more guarded um, because I I always fear comparison um, in that space, right? And the one-on-one, -on -one, it's very easy to compare, you know, me to them, um, you know. Especially it, if you didn't end up in the ED, right? Like you don't, you didn't hit catastrophic Space, so they yeah. can be like, well, you don't understand, right? Is I try to, find, yeah, like it. What I do is I try to find like a a through line rather than an exact match because it's never going to happen. Like my story is not going to be the same as theirs, right. and in that early space, 
it's easy for somebody to say, well, you have no idea what I've gone through because that person feels so unique right. in their story. Like it is, they're the only person on the planet that can get it. And that's just where you are at that point. Right. Um, so for me, it's different in the one-on-one -on -one coaching. So how I share my story with people in that space is a little bit different. I share, you know, that I'm in long-term recovery. I share that I'm a coach that I've done this for X amount of years. I share the basics. Right. Um, if there's a something that they say that I think I can kind of build a rapport off of, I might dive into my story a little bit, but again, not, I say long-term recovery. I don't even tell them how long, because like, I don't, again, like, it's not a competition. Right. It's but like, we yeah. tend towards that. Well, he must be better than me or. Right. I don't want him to go like 12 years and, uh, and they'll go, like, I'll never get 12 years. Like this is useless. Right. Like, so mm -hmm. there's like a way to tell it in that space. Um, on the podcast, the way I look at it is like, I'm broadcasting out hopefully to a larger audience. I don't know who I'm talking to. Um, and I feel like vulnerability is something that people can connect with, um, you know, real quick. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when I listen to podcasts, some of the best ones that I've listened to are the most vulnerable, right? Like mm -hmm. there's a there's an episode of Dak Shepard's Armchair Expert. And I love Dak Shepard. I love yeah. all his podcasts. But when he had his setback um, and he spoke about, you know. I listened to that episode. Killed me. Right. Like that was the episode where I was like, okay, I get it. And like, you know, you want to reach out and hug the guy um, in that moment. And um, so for me, like, it's just telling my story as, as bluntly and as open as I can, um, you know, and obviously we don't share everything, but we share a lot. And for, you know, in, in episode one, it was like, the way I looked at it is like, well, I want to just check out the technology and make sure this all runs smoothly. Yeah. Who Who is open to me screwing up the most? <laughs> My wife. And um, so, like, yeah. And, you know, we had a lot to talk about. Um, you know, we've gone through a lot. We've known each other since we were yeah. 18 and 19. And we've been through tons of things together. And, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll be through a lot more. But, um, you know, and she and we've been through therapy. So like, Having the hard conversations, we've done it already. They're already out, right? It's it's old news between the yeah. two of you. So why not use it to the better, you know, um, accessibility for your audience? Um, and I'm thinking I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure the first guest on the armchair expert was his wife, Kristen Bell. It was. So yeah. I think I think you guys are in alignment here on a couple of things. Um yeah. And, and I think you're right. His vulnerability to say, I totally screwed up. And, you know, let me tell you my story. Um, it was very powerful. And I think the more we show up and say, I'm screwed up too. Yeah. But guess what? We can still move forward. We can still function. We can still reclaim authorship over our story. And we don't have to hand the pen to the alcohol, to the substance, to the thing that's holding us back. Um so one of the things I want to ask you about is another tool, maybe, maybe I'm projecting here, but as I understand it, music is mm -hmm. a big deal for you. Yes. Has music, to tell us how you love music, what you love, but is there a part of music that's been supportive to you in this journey with sobriety? Um, yeah, so music is a tool for sure. Um, but just to step back, like, you know, music was in my house growing up. Um, I live with my mom and my stepfather 
most of the time. Um, and there was always music playing, you know, we had a CD player, like as soon as CDs were a thing. And then we got the changer as soon as those were a thing. And like, you know, there was more music on right. than TV at an early age. And it was, um, I think I went to see Bruce Springsteen when I was like seven at That's MetLife, cool. well, at the old giant stadium and, uh, <laughs> you know, so music Jersey boys dream, right? Yeah, I guess. Um, but music was always just a big part of my life growing up and uh, just kind of continued on um, and all types of music. So um, and then my wife and I, that's like a common bond for us. Mm -hmm. So we go to a lot of live music shows and we always have, um, you know, I'm constantly challenging myself to find new music. My my brother, uh, he works in the music industry. Oh, cool. You know, so it is a it's just part of who we are, um, how I use it as a tool, you know, for me, a lot of songs just and I'm sure this is true for everybody. There's like a time stamp on them in my brain. And like if I want to kind of connect with a certain time period and how I felt in that time period, I can put on a certain type of music or yeah. a certain artist and like I can just kind of go back there really quick and so what would your time what would your music of this time period be right now um so right now i'm probably looking at noah khan um probably goose um and run the jewels so okay i'm gonna have to check them out <laughs> right so i have like hip-hop i have folk and then i have goose which is like a jam band but like those three i think are the ones that i kind of Ten towards right now um but like if i really want to go back i would probably listen to like rem or counting crows and then that brings me back to like high school and then mm -hmm. if i want to get to grammar school i would go to like a tribe called quest <laughs> yes if i want to go to college it's uh you know different there's <laughs> matthews and yeah yeah third eye blind and there's like certain little points you know yeah, and yeah. some of it's not even the best music it's just a point in time it's the story um, that it tells it's the it's the dot on the map that right right and things. yeah and like and if i want to think about my mom i'll put on like bob schneider and you know if i want to think about my brother it's the grateful dead or you know and there or umphreys mcgee or you know there's all these little points in time um so yeah it's just a tool for me to kind of travel through time actually mm -hmm. um and then now in the mornings i've taken to like starting my day off just with like a classical music Mm -hmm. So it's like an ease into the day, um, which is kind of nice. Uh, That's so, great. Yeah. Okay. So what about what books, what books do you recommend? Do you read? Do you gift often, whether it's sobriety related or not? Yeah. So books are a tough one. Um, just trying to think what I do. So let me look here. I got a bunch. So the one that I read the most recently was Essentialism by Greg McCowan. So uh, good. Oh my gosh. Oh right? my gosh. It is so good. Yeah. So my therapist recommended that one. She actually, she started uh, one of our last sessions. She's like, I started reading a book and she's like, I thought of you immediately. So I bought it yeah. and I, I kind of blew through it. Um, really gets into the prioritization thing. Yeah. And that, of, that's kind of like the question I asked about, right? Are we, are we dealing with the trivial many or what is it trivial many or I don't know, the important few, however he, however he delineates those. But I think 
when we look at life as everything is important, then nothing is important. And where he's really going is put your time and energy into those things that actually matter, right? Yep. Relationships, the experiences, the, 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 the places our brains go when we listen to music versus have a glass of wine. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. For me, she really recommended it because of my professional life and like my job has me scattered. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't have one priority. I have 10 and they're all <laughs> super high importance. And I just, I don't love it. Um, I think it can get better. I, I just think it's part of our work culture and reading the book. There were so many examples of that. So like, if you're struggling with that professionally, like read the book and it's so good. Just, I think for me, it was one of those moments of like, oh, I'm not unique, you know? And then I can just start to go like, okay, there's gotta be a solution. And there were in the, in the book. Um, you know, from a recovery book standpoint, um, Annie Grace, This Naked Mind is one that's pretty easy to read and kind of tackles, uh, recovery in a, in an accessible way. She has some good tools outside of it. So I kind of always recommend that to people that I work with. Um, and you've referenced her a couple of times, so I'm gonna have to check her out. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Holly Whitaker's book is good. Um, Again, Laura McCowan has a couple books out there that are all very, um, you know, I think they come at recovery with the new mindset of, of not that, you know, uh, you know, it, they call it patriarchal. I, I just, it's like the, the dogma of it is more, I think, what it is. I was going to say, there, there's a stigma and this is something I, I ne we neglected to go, go to earlier, but there's a stigma of where, where. I would want to be celebrated if I came out and said, I have decided to be sober. Yeah. Instead, we put those people, we tend to put people in a corner and, and shame them and say, well, what were you doing wrong that all these other people who are still drinking seem to be managing? Yeah. Well, we go back to that, that confirmation bias, but we should celebrate these people for saying they're doing something good. Yeah. Right. And not... Not say, well, go to a dark basement to a meeting and bear all your stuff, right? But it's it's to be lived out loud. And I will say, I believe wholeheartedly, and whether it's Holly Whitaker or any of these other authors, that stigma is changing, right? Yeah. Because now there's this, there's people like me that can be sober curious and say, do I think I'm a full in this categorical way, alcoholic addict. I don't know. I know that I'm addicted to parts of the relationship, but I don't want that, right? Because I don't want to be stigmatized. I think we're changing that and making it a little more fluid of where are you on this journey? And where do you want to go with it? And is it working for you? Um, because now, because I've started exploring non-alcoholic alternatives and all these my Facebook feed has changed. It's no longer, it's all the elixirs and the apothecaries. And because I'm sober curious, I want, I still want to be exposed to that social, emotional body feeling some, but I also don't want to be committed to alcohol. I don't want to be out of my, my, my not controlling mind, but my conscious deliberate yeah. mind. Um, so I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but I think, I think we're not just polarizing into drinkers and non-drinkers, sober and non-sober, alcoholics and non-alcoholics. I think they're creating this spectrum in between where we can just get on the journey train. Yeah. I, again, I think it's just this idea of you could be a, there's a, a version of you that is whole. And then there's a version of you that is kind of, you mm -hmm. know, 
um, less than, less than ideal. Right. And, yeah. and, and, you know, that looks different for everybody. Um, for me, it just, my life can include alcohol. Like I get that, um, you know, and I don't, I don't foresee a future where it does. Mm -hmm. Um, and, but like, you know, my wife, she drinks, she'll have a glass of wine. Her relationship with alcohol has changed over time. Sure. Um, you know, uh, you know, I had a, my best friend, he was a drinker. He stopped about a year ago. Um, you know, he just one day woke up and now he has a, you know, he is big into the NA beverages and, you know, he'll send me pictures of whatever <laughs> he's drinking. And like, it's just, you know, I think everybody gets somewhere in their life and they realize they're not on the path that suits them best. Um, and, and if there should be no judgment in that. Right. And it's like, if, you know, it's like the harm reduction thing, right? Like if you were drinking 20 drinks a night outside okay. in a bar and then you decided, okay, this isn't safe anymore because I'm driving home after 20 drinks. I'm just using like an example, right? And you decided that you're going to do that at home from now on. Good for you, right? Yes. Like you've taken away some amount of harm for your life. Yes. Like you've recognized something, you've changed something and your life is actually better. Better for uh, it. Right. Now, you know, does that person then take the next step and, you know, reduce to 10? Maybe. I don't know. But like, I'm not here to judge that path. Um, that's not my job. But I yeah. love that you're giving people an invitation to their path, to to their direction, you know, and to be to give them that space without judgment, right? That that we can be curious about what's best for ourselves and that we have resources and people in the world who are willing to help us and just say, well, why? What do you want to do with that? How do you want that to go? Yeah. Um, and then to hold us accountable through it. And I think that the work that you do as a coach, I know the work you do in your corporate world is very important to you, but the work you do as a coach and the work you do to communicate these opportunities to the world through the podcast is incredibly important. We are in a space where mental health is a big issue and it's not just an issue for the individual household, but for our businesses, right? When you show up to work, are you, are you mentally stable enough to perform the job at hand? Right. Um, it's affecting us in so many different ways. So like you, I'm like, how do we get good news out there? Good opportunities, good resources, because we all want to grow. We all want freedom. Right. Yeah, I uh, I wish it would would be more in the workspace. Um, you know, maybe at some point yeah. we'll get there. But uh, but I and it's getting there slowly. I think. Um, but but it takes these conversations. It takes the willingness, the vulnerability to say, I this is my experience. What can we do to make it better? Can we have non alcoholic beverages at our cocktail party? Mm. Can we make sure that we just like we make vegan options or vegetarian options today? Can we have these options to not other this group of people who's doing a Herculean thing and yeah. changing their life? I did that at my last big corporate event. I was, I just, so cool. I, I used or I leveraged my position in the company to just say, we need more than just water, you know? Yeah. And it was there. And the funny thing is, there was plenty of people using them, right? Like, which it's was great to see. We we won't take advantage of an opportunity if the opportunity is not in front of us or right. or if we're not invited to it. Yeah. So to that end, that it's not quite yet in corporate, uh, and I I love Tim Ferriss the podcast. Yeah. Um, he always asks the billboard question. So assuming all your other interests are covered, 
as far as marketing, and you could have one thing on a billboard for all of the world to see, what might you say? Hmm, that's a good one. Uh, I really thought about that. Um, I would think don't be afraid to change. Um, because I think, you know, once you start changing, it becomes easier, but so many people get stuck up in the idea of, again, like they are who they are. Right. And if you change, you're going to lose something or lose people. And I could just say like, out of all the changes that I've made, because like, once you make the first one more come, right. Like, you know, this it's like the first one's the hard one. And then everything else is, is gets easier and easier. Right. Cause you have data to verify that you can do hard things. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, I could say that I've never lost anybody that was really meaningful. I've never lost an opportunity. Um, I've never lost anything from changing. And, uh, So yeah, don't be afraid to change would be the thing that I would say, because, you know, there's always something better uh, on the other side of it. Mm -hmm. That's what I found. Very rarely is it like, oh, I did that and it's worse. Well, and that's the, the, the changing the trial into a triumph, yeah. right? And, you know, Seneca is quoted as saying, we suffer more often in imagination than we do in reality. And having someone like you, a, a podcast like yours, for people to hear these stories, these testimonies, these, these attributes that get a person from I can't do it to what if I could, um, I think that's the best way to go today. It's the most attainable way and it creates a relationship. So <clears throat> I hope that people listening find within themselves a willingness to be curious, not only about their the sobriety towards substances, but like myself, their sobriety potentially towards audible and podcasts or towards shopping or towards scrolling the internet. Just stop and shoot. Why? What What are you getting out of this? Is it sustainable? Is it helping you? What is it taking? Because every time we say yes to something, every time I say yes to a podcast, I'm saying no to something else, whether it's quiet time or conversations with a friend or sleep. Um, everything is an exchange. So I love that you've given us tips and tricks and tools to, to take that step and to take that step towards change, because I truly believe we're all worth it. And we all have the power within ourselves, given the right conditions, the right support, the right motivation um, to really make those changes. So I thank you for the oh, work that you do. Thank you. How, how can we follow you? Can you tell us where to find your podcast? What's the best way to get more information on Sober by Design? Yeah. So my podcast, the Sober by Design podcast is on all the all the platforms, Apple, Spotify, um, I'm sure there's other ones. And all the others. <laughs> yeah. There's a whole uh, list of them. Spotify seem to be the two big yeah. ones that everybody that listens. I think Pandora is one. Um, my wife made me put it on Pandora. Because she... <laughs> that's where she listens. Yeah, she won't use uh, Spotify. Uh, <laughs> but I'm on all of the streaming platforms. And then I'm on Instagram at the Sober by Design. Or I think I'm just Sober by Design on Instagram. Um, again, you can connect with me. I share um, sort of everything on there. Um, you get to see who I am, All what I'm things. doing. And uh, yeah, again, thank you very much for having me on. I think it's yeah. great what you're doing. Um, and I'm happy that we were able to connect uh, through, uh, you know, my day job. 
uh, and do this because it, it's important for people to know that there's a better way to live, right? And that's what you're doing. And that's what I'm trying to do. I just, you know, I think how we live as a society right now is a little bit off. And I think we could be doing better. I really do. Um, I don't know what that better is, but it's not what we're doing currently. Well, it's, you know, to go back to what you said, it's, it's a life that's less crappy, that sucks less. Yeah. Right. And it, and it's not going to be the government, the big, anything that's going to make these changes for us. It's small steps within yeah. ourselves. But if we don't know that that's an option, that there's an alternative, that there are other people out there, like you said, who aren't that different from us, right. That my really unique, special, combustible story is not all that different, even if it's not the same amount of time or the same impact, because we're all in this together. And if we don't start crossing those lines to create more community, to your point, it's not going to get any better. Yeah, you know? no, I think uh, it, it it's we're at a point right now where we really need to focus on it because it's going to be super easy to just, you know, dive into your own world that you create on your phone, tablet, yeah. whatever your device is, and you can create a life that's really appealing to you. Mm -hmm. um, and then one day you're going to look up and realize like, there's nothing there for you. Um, you know, it's, yeah. it's a little bit alarming. Um, you know, and that's and where we have to go back to, we can't be afraid to change because yeah. change is the only constant. And if we balk against that, we're going to be fighting um, a really relentless battle. And that's not what we're here for. We're here to live freely and to live openly and joyously. Yep. Um, so Corey, I very much appreciate your time and the work that you do in the world today. And for those listening, go check out at Sober by Design on Instagram and across the sphere. Um, even if you're not ready to go sober, it's beautiful stories of, of people who are turning their trials into triumph. And I'm grateful that you do it. So thank you so much. Thank you very much, Michaela. All right. And to everyone else, I hope you make it a great day and we'll catch you next time on End All The Things. And that's a wrap on another episode of End All The Things. If you enjoyed today's show, please like and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. If you really liked it, please go ahead and rate it. Then think about who in your life might also need to hear it and any of the other episodes we have shared. Then share it with them. When you find something meaningful, something valuable, you've got to share it and pay it forward to those you care for. Thanks for joining us and follow along on Instagram at myjoycoach to see more of me, your host, Michaela Bertieshaw. And as always, make it a great day.